welcome to The Uncover Up. I'm Elena Papianis, and I'm here with my co-host, Lee Kunla. Hey. And Nathan Radke. Hello. And today we are talking about the Illuminati. 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 <laughs> yeah, we're coming back strong. We haven't done one of these in a long time, and I think we got like ambitious. Yeah. Yeah, we're going right to the top. I'm excited. I, I like on Wednesday, I was like, I can't wait to do this tomorrow. And then I was like, damn it, it's Thursday. It's not Friday tomorrow. <laughs> it's like I've been excited all week. Oh, sure. Here yeah. we go. And we're not just covering the Illuminati. We're looking at, I think, one of the hot button issues of our time. It was only a couple weeks ago where the news dropped that one of Beyonce's former drummers was accusing her of witchcraft. And I think cat murder. Kitten killing. Kitten yeah. killing. Which definite hallmarks of membership in the Illuminati, no? Sure. So this one's like super topical. Yep. We are... Now, I think in one of our previous podcasts, we've already uh, set Lee up to be perhaps allegedly murdered by Courtney Love. Right. It has so, not happened yet. Not yet. No. <laughs> no. Lee is still alive. But... Since that didn't pay off, maybe now we can get the Illuminati angry at Lee. Oh, actually, I have the the quote of what she was of the what the musician Kimberly Thompson said Beyonce was um, guilty of extreme witchcraft, dark magic, and magic spells of sexual molestation, oh, plus man. killing a kitten. Oh man, and killing a kitten. Okay, what's extreme witchcraft? I don't know. Is there just mild witchcraft? Yeah, there's. Is uh, that like when you kind of dress just a little witchy? Yeah, you, you wear the hat, and you've got, like, you don't have the full cauldron. You've just got, a, like, a pot that you use for stew as well. Right. I think extreme Oh, man, witchcraft. maybe I'm a witch then. I like making soup. So, yeah, we're going to try to get into, and to be honest, this is the most annoying thing I've ever had to research. <laughs> and I think you guys have probably found something similar. Yeah. It is not a question of there isn't enough information about the Illuminati. You type in, like, you type in I-L-L. Yeah. And it autocorrects to Illuminati yeah. and hundreds of thousands of things pop up. And it is just a massive ocean of yeah. absolute nonsense. I think this is one of the maybe best test cases where what we're trying to do throughout these podcasts is really be able to distinguish the difference between credible and non-credible theories, uh, conspiracy theories. I think this one is really very topical. I think it's also has a lot of the hallmarks um, that allow us to distinguish between a credible and an uncredible conspiracy theory. So mm. as annoying as it is to research and to try and wade through the different evidence, I guess we could call it, that's out there, I think this is a really good test case. Yeah, agreed. All right, well, let's get into it then. We have to start off by talking about the history of the Illuminati, because this is one of the problems when people discuss the Illuminati, is everyone just sort of assumes they know everything about it, but don't have any specifics. And so I think what we need to do is actually look into the history of the Illuminati. It was a genuine organization. They actually existed. It was a genuine organization. And, you know, maybe we can even think about it like this. Let me ask both of you. Maybe you guys are good at this. Are you good at lying? No. Sure, I'm great <laughs> at lying. <laughs> okay, yeah, so you guys both suck at it. But... Oh, just abstractly, if I were to ask you, what would make somebody good at lying? What would you say? I would say, as I recall, George Costanza from Seinfeld once mm -hmm. said, it's not a lie. If you believe it. Right, okay. You believe it. So if you, if, if you believe it yourself, if you have a certain, I think that comes with then like a certain amount of confidence in presenting the information. Mm -hmm. 
certainly I, I actually do this test with my students. I ask them a lot about, and it's interesting to hear what they say. One of the things I think everybody at some point notes is that you got to mix a whole bunch of truth with it. Like right. a complete fabrication just won't stand the test of time. So when we look at stuff like the Illuminati and other conspiracies, even the ones we end up arguing are not real, didn't really happen, there's going to be a lot of stuff about them that was true. Because otherwise it's mm -hmm. not going to work, right? I mean, it's going to be like a lie that is so far-fetched that just on the face of it, you could just say that that's silly. Yeah, it's, it's almost like little bits of truth give you a handle that you can then drag the rest of the conspiracy along with. Yeah, and you'll always be able to go back and point to stuff. And there'll be a historical record that's, yep, that actually did happen. So, um, you know, Nathan started us off in a way by saying that the Illuminati was a real organization. It really was. Um, in uh, 1776, uh, in a little town in Bavaria called Ingolstadt, there's a professor named Adam Weishaupt who founds a semi-secret uh society it's a political society it's a social club and it is one of many that exist at this time uh and it's called the illuminati now from what i understand the reason that he forms this club is because this is the age of the enlightenment there's all sorts of social change happening a lot of old ideas and traditions are getting sort of thrown out there's new forms of government showing up there's new forms of understanding the natural world showing up but Weishaupt, you say it better than me. Because <laughs> I am German. Yeah, Weishaupt. But you're, you're right on the money with, the, with how you pronounced it. Anytime I try to speak with a German accent, I just sound angry. <laughs> so but, do Germans. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm doing a good job. So Weishaupt, he's sort of frustrated with his, his country of Bavaria. He doesn't think that they are enlightening as quickly as, as maybe some of the other countries. They're still tied to old traditions and to like royal families and to the church and to these sort of old institutions. That's right. That's right. And so he founds a society dedicated to trying to speed up this process a bit, you know, because as, as Nathan correctly said, there's all these ideas out there um, about why, say, king kingship is passe and we should have, you know, democracy and have people get to have a vote in things or why... You know, our, our medieval notions of religion are maybe not the best way to describe the world. And of course, like at any era when there's social change, it happens at different speeds in different places. And he's super frustrated. Um, he's part of the intellectual elite. And, you know, he believes that kingship is silly, that people should be atheists. And he founds a society. Um, I should actually say, there's another reason for founding these secret, semi-secret societies. And that's because actual political debate like this was, uh, in a lot of places, just strictly not allowed. So if you were a Republican atheist and you wanted to get that those ideas out to other people, you weren't able to just talk about, depending on where you lived at this time, you weren't just able to talk about it on the street. So, so I'm already sort of well disposed to this to this group because I mean <laughs> it's formed by a university professor. Mm -hmm. That's right. So I'm on board with that. Yeah. Sounds yeah. pretty good so far. He's he's trying to uh, sort of help out with the progress in his country and trying to cast off some old ideas and yeah. maybe get some fresh new ideas in. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm on board so yeah, far. Yeah, me too. Well, and 
here is okay so here's how he got me on board to be a member of this society you had to study philosophy and like learn mathematics and speak and learn the languages so it's a pretty elite institution that expects a lot of its members but it has an actual social and political goal what they wanted to do was they wanted to get people basically trained up in these ideas and get them into the public service in a way, get them into positions that mattered. In a sense, basically uh, create the change from the inside out. They wanted to get people into positions of power who agreed with them such that they would start working from the inside to start, you know, changing society maybe a bit more quickly. So if I was going to... Describe that in more sinister terms. First, you infiltrate, then That's you right. indoctrinate. Yeah. All well, right. may, no, the it, other way around, I think. First, you indoctrinate. Well, you have to indoctrinate right. and then infiltrate. And then, and then further indoctrinate. Indoctrinate. And then further indoctrinate. <laughs> and then more indoctrination. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's right. Um, they had some moderate success in doing, in getting people into some positions of power. So here's where we are so far there is a semi secret society that really did exist, which really tried to influence the social-political world of their times in ways that um, are showing up in, in places like the French Revolution and stuff. Yeah, because they were pretty radical. They wanted to abolish religion. Yep. They wanted to abolish conventional conceptions of state, mm-hmm. of property ownership. Yeah, potentially, yeah. Uh, maybe even the family. Yep. Like, these are the main institutions that basically from a structural perspective, or what holds society together. And they're like, burn them down. Mm -hmm. That's right. Now, they are not the only group at that time that's saying this, and there's a lot of variations of it. It's interesting to note, because of what will happen later in the story, that this society is founded before the French Revolution happens. It's founded before Marxism is even thought of. Marx hasn't even been born yet. But it is expressing some of the key ideas that come up in the French Revolution, some of the key ideas that are in Marxism, and in later historical revolutions. That's the historically existing Illuminati. Because what happens is, remember that the reason that it was a secret society is because this kind of free speech and criticism of authority figures was actually not allowed. When the rulers of Bavaria got uh, uh, wind of what uh, Weishaupt was doing, Weishaupt took off. Uh, he fled, and to the best of our knowledge, that society shut down. That secret organization stopped existing. And, and it points to kind of the, the paradox of trying to have a secret organization. Because if you want it to do well, you need a lot of people in it. And they did have a lot of people. They got over 2,000 members at its peak. Mm-hmm. And they infiltrated Masonic lodges because mm-hmm. there was already kind of a secret organization sort of present in that right. in, in that institution. And so he figured if he could like sneak into the Masonic lodges, he could just take those over with Illuminatis. Uh, Illuminatus? Illuminati. Yeah, good question. I don't know. Illuminatus would be the singular. Ah, so, so Illuminati is the Illuminati. Is the, okay, yes. right. We're already doing the plural. But the problem is, of course, you become a victim of your own success. Mm-hmm. Because what happens as soon as you have a bunch of people who are in on your secret organization? Well, it's harder to keep it secret. Yeah, because we suck at that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and actually, it's funny the way that he was caught. You said that he had some success in getting into government uh, positions. And one of the guys he had in a government position was a guy called Francis von Zwack. (laughs) 
I didn't say it right. How do you how do you spell it? Z W A C H. Zwack or Zvetch? Oh man, I wasn't close. Okay, so Francis von Zvetch. He had been sort of talking at the pub as people do. Mm. You know, you get drunk and somebody's like, "Oh, my uh, my son just got this great new job," and he'd be like, "Oh yeah, well I'm a member of this secret group that's going to take over the entire world." Let's see your son beat that. Right. And so the government is paying attention to him. They raid his house. They find a bunch of papers. They find a bunch of letters, including letters about how uh, Weishaupt had uh, knocked up his sister-in-law. Mm. So there was some problems mm. within the institute, the organization of the Illuminati as well. And that's when the government's like, okay, we are clamping down on this. Anybody who joins the secret society now, death penalty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... Uh, it's officially banned in 1784 by uh, Prince Karl Theodore. He's the uh, Prince Regent, I guess, of Bavaria. Uh, Weishaupt, Adam Weishaupt, flees the state. And, you know, when you put a price of death on membership of an organization, that's one of the ways it's going to, you know, really disincentivize a lot of people from joining. The historically existing Illuminati as an actual kind of political force ends around this time what's interesting though is that uh soon after the french revolution starts this french revolution starts in 1789 um and it was a pretty monument well a pretty monumental event i would say it's maybe one of the most um shocking and important events in western political history certainly especially from the perspective of kings and the nobility and aristocracy of that time. And of course, a lot of people tried to make sense of it. And there was a book written in, when was this book written? In 1798, so 10 years after the uh, French Revolution, uh, blaming the Illuminati for the rising atheism, which was part of uh, the French Revolution. And then in seven, uh, just a year earlier, there was a book blaming the Illuminati. This book was written by Auguste de Berul. That name I cannot pronounce properly. B-A-R-R-U-E-L. And he blames the Illuminati for the French Revolution itself. So there's the historically existing event, which does, in fact, do a lot of the stuff that the Illuminati is later blamed for. But then there's... Yeah, because the French Revolution, they were... they portrayed themselves as a great rational step forward. No. Like the metric system rather than the the bizarre sort of system no. of feet and hogsheads and whatever else nonsense people measure stuff with. And they, they wanted to have like a metric calendar and metric time yep. and make everything reasonable and rational. That's and right. They, they actually instituted that calendar. Yeah, it didn't take. The month of Thermidor and things yeah. like that. Yeah, oh, yeah, boy. yeah. They had 10 months in the year. They had 10 minutes in an hour, 10 hours in a day. Yeah, they, they went all the way and... People were trying to make sense of this. People were trying to understand why did a group of peasants and workers suddenly take up these really elite causes of atheism, republicanism, things like this. So there's a myth that starts to get generated about the Illuminati basically having succeeded at what Weishaupt wanted to do. The Mm -hmm. idea being that people were infiltrating French society as well. And those people uh, orchestrated the French Revolution. Now, there are more books that are then published later. And another one worth noting, 1924, Nestor Webster uh, published a book in which the Illuminati is now blamed for 
pretty much everything, including the Russian Revolution. So it gets updated in the 20th century, where people are again seeing the hand of a secret society of people who've been infiltrating, you know, public discourse and political society with very particular Illuminati-ish type aims, atheism, at least in its initial form with atheism and republicanism. By the time we get to the 20th century, the story gets weirdly mixed up with Marxism, where, as, as you mentioned earlier, Nathan, these ideas, these kind of radical ideas that are in Marxism, breaking down the family, um, creating a different economy, which were part of the original Illuminati, are now thought to be, well, it's no accident that the Marxists and the communists took the, up these ideas because they were members of the Illuminati to begin with. And is this when um, the myth sort of takes a leap over the pond too to the U.S. and becomes more of a, a myth there as well? I think so, although... I think you had some of the same stuff happening in the United States with things like the Freemasons and other kind of secret-ish societies right. that had idea, political ideas that were maybe different. But those were mainstream. specifically anti-Mason. I mean, there was even the anti-Mason, yeah. there was an anti-Mason political party that just defined themselves as being anti-Mason. Right. And they, well, there may have been some sort of common characteristics. They weren't overtly blaming the Illuminati for things. Yeah, that's true. At this point, maybe it makes sense to just sort of talk in general. What is the appeal of the of the boogeyman? Like, mm. why is it helpful to have an organization like that that you can sort of point to and say, I mean, there's a bunch of reasons why that's the case. I mean, one could simply be if in times of turmoil and chaos, you're searching for some sort of explanation or yeah. order or reason behind all this chaos that is happening. Why not some invisible force that is sort of using their invisible hand? And it's... It's always simpler. I mean, how complicated are the reasons for the French Revolution? Yeah. Mm -hmm. how, how complicated are the reasons for World War I or for the Russian Revolution? I mean, it, it would take forever to try to understand any of those things. It's nice to be able to say, oh, you know, there's just an evil group somewhere and they're right. behind these evil things. That's right. I think um, sort of following on what Elena was saying, there's also in the late 19th and early 20th century a lot of stuff that needs explaining in a way that didn't require explaining 500 years earlier. Mm -hmm. You know, 500 years earlier, yeah, there's stuff that happens, a war or a famine or something. But in the 20th, or especially early 20th century, I mean, you just have one massive upheaval after another. You know, the French Revolution ends a thousand years of uh, French dynastic rule. I mean, that's not just like a new king coming mm -hmm. and taking over. This is like, this changes everything mm -hmm. in a way. Russia too, I mean, okay, it wasn't a thousand years of imperial rule there, but 500 or, or thereabouts. World War I is the most devastating thing anybody's seen, period. You know, it, mm -hmm. and then you have uh, the stock market crash and then the Great Depression. And now we're suddenly, America, the richest country in the world is suddenly plunged into some areas look like I mean, they're just devastated. And I think when you have, I sometimes think to myself, what would it have been like to have been born in 1900 somewhere in Western Europe? The kinds of changes you're going to experience, say you end up living to be 75 years old, that difference that you experienced from 1900 mm -hmm. to 1975, I don't know if there's going to be another generation in human history that will have gone through what you have gone through from, you know, Everything was unmechanized in 1900. There was no flight. There was, there was no, no flight. powered flight. There were no cars. 
I mean, even, I don't know exactly when they invent cars, but, you know, I mean. They weren't popular. Yeah, yeah no, they, nobody's not. driving them around in 1900. So I feel like I agree with Elena's general point that the Illuminati makes for easy explanation, but it also, we're in a time when I feel like all the explain there is a lot that needs explaining. Um, and it's, I think a lot of the ex- explanations from the social scientists who look at it later are somewhat unsatisfying. You know, like like you say, Nathan. You know, the French Revolution is a lot of stuff that happened. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, some of it has to do with weather. Some yes. of it has to do with coincidences. Some of it has to do with, you know, actions of real families and rumors. It's it's a big mess. Apparently, there was a volcano in Iceland that might have had some contributing factor. Yeah, like the world is a really complicated, messed up place, and that's very unsatisfying. But you know what is satisfying? The idea that there is some group that has control. I think in some ways that's less frightening to people. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that somebody's in charge. Somebody's making all this stuff happen. Yeah. 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 It's less scary than the idea that, ooh, maybe nobody is. Mm-hmm. Maybe we live in a capricious, I think I said my most imp- impressive word first. I should have built, <laughs> yeah, built up to capricious. <laughs> but it's true. I mean, the world doesn't really make a lot of sense. And... I, I think that's very fascinating. I think you are right that... We want sense. Yes, and it is scarier to think that nobody's in charge than somebody bad is in charge. Now, speaking of somebody bad, there's a move that we still have to make here. Mm-hmm. We've talked about the Illuminati. We've talked about a little bit of the Illuminati in history and then moved on to the idea of the Illuminati in history. But these days, there is somebody who is very closely associated with the Illuminati who hasn't shown up yet. All of the people I've talked to in person who have been Illuminati theorists, people who take this very seriously and and believe that it is a legitimate threat, uh, it is tied to, what's his name? Satan. That's the guy. Lucifer. That's the other guy. Yeah. Same guy. (laughs) So then the question I always had when I first started studying this is, how did we make the move from Mm -hmm. the Illuminati, which was a secular rational group, which was attempting to abolish all religion, to it becoming this sort of satanic cabal, Mm -hmm. which I think the modern understanding of the Illuminati, you cannot, especially when we get into pop culture and Beyonce and things, like you can't separate the modern Mm -hmm. Illuminati from Satan. Okay. So then the question becomes, how did that occur? How did that occur, Nathan? And now we are trying to make the move to Satan, as you know, as you do. (laughs) As one does, yeah. As one does. Yeah, and actually, if anybody out there is like, good at remixing and things i'd like them to take that line from elena <laughs> and turn it into put like a dance beat behind That's it right. and we make need a it a really, yeah, yeah. A really catchy song make the move to satan make the move to satan culture like where does pop culture get tied up with this obscure bavarian secular group Mm. well i think the origins of pop culture music in the united states 
I mean, to grossly oversimplify it, basically we're looking at sort of the country and Western music, and we're looking at blues music, and then there's obviously other influences, but those are the two main ones. And if we're talking about blues music in the 1920s and 30s, we're probably going to have to mention a guy called Robert Johnson, who is a famous Delta blues man. And his story is great, because he's just a kid in town, and he's sort of like following these older blues guys around, and he's trying to play with them. He's not very good. He leaves town. He disappears. He comes back takes out his guitar, and all of a sudden, he is amazing. Like, people can't believe how good he's gotten. And so they ask him, Robert, what did you do? And he tells this story. He says, well, it's the damnedest thing. I went to the crossroads one night at midnight. This guy in a really nice suit came by, smelling of sulfur. And I handed him my guitar, and he took it, and he tuned it for me, and he handed it back to me, and I could play. And people were like, well, that was Satan. You just sold your soul to Satan to play the guitar. And he said, yeah, I guess so. And then he wrote a bunch of great songs, Hellhound on My Trail, all these songs about how he's being chased, how he's being pursued, how he's, how he's being dragged down. Of course, the song Crossroads is about this. And then to make the legend just like picture perfect, he eventually, not, not very long afterwards, uh, he dies foaming at the mouth and barking like a dog. And so people say, oh, the Hellhound's caught up with him. Hmm. What actually happened was that he was probably sleeping with the wife of the bartender of the bar he was at. And so the bartender poisoned him. Oh, you spoiled it. Because I, that was such, I was so like, I just think that that's such a great marketing story. Yeah. I oh, mean, it's fantastic. And, and the music is good enough to like, yeah. to live up to that story. Right. If you've never heard old Robert Johnson recordings, they're chilling. They're amazing. But there's your introduction, right? Okay. There's the idea of this association of, of the devil with this kind of music. Do you think this is the first example of like where celebrity or whoever is actually kind of trolling conspiracy theories, like in a way like creating mm, this, that's a good, giving them something yeah. to hold on to and think about and sort of drum up their own persona. Oh, sure. Like yeah. how do you, how do you set yourself out from the other musicians? Yeah. If you get a story like that, yeah, it's pretty I mean, incredible. Yeah, that's a good. We had story. Lee for the whole time. Oh there. yeah, for sure. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta look this guy's music up now because this is. I mean, it just as a, as a marketing ploy, a story like this yeah. is so so compelling. incredible. And compelling. Which I think is going to probably become a very important idea later on in this podcast, mm-hmm. and we're going to definitely have to come back to this idea of marketing. Uh, the other thing too is that music traditionally had been something that you did in church. It was, you would sing hymns and like gospel and things like that. And so to move music from the churches to like the bars and the speakeasies and the juke joints and stuff like that, you're moving music from a place of the sacred to a place of sin. And so there starts to be that weird dichotomy Mm -hmm. in popular music where it's like, oh, wait a second, this seems like a kind of a sinful thing. And then when rock and roll comes out in the 50s, and rock and roll literally is slang for... Sex. Exactly. Rock and roll music is sex music. Mm-hmm. And of course, you couldn't show Elvis's hips because they were too shocking because he was shaking them around and all this. And so you start to have this backlash against rock and roll and people getting all upset and burning records. And you start to see stuff like that. John Lennon in the 60s says they're bigger than Jesus and people go out and buy a bunch of Beatles stuff just to burn it. You do see that association, but it's in the 70s where it really takes off because it's in the 70s where you start to see musicians sort of leaning into that. Mm-hmm. Musicians like... Alice Cooper. Sure, Alice Cooper, really theatrical with the makeup and snakes and the fire and stuff. Doesn't he actually like 
bite a chicken's head off? Or am I making that up? Or is because that I felt Ozzy? Like, Some, is it that's Ozzy definitely someone. I thought but Ozzy I can't Osbourne. Who. Oh boy, we are out of our. Was yeah. it a bat? I don't know, but I thought yeah. he bit the head off a bat. Else Didn't Alice that? Cooper throw a chicken into the crowd? Oh, okay. And then the crowd ripped it to pieces, and afterwards oh, maybe, he thought, okay. I thought chickens flew. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Quick caveat. We are not... Normally, no. we're pretty sure about the things we say. The yeah. last five minutes, we are just talking... We're yeah. not metalheads. So no. Our, our references might be no. a bit off. But but yeah, we see um, your Ozzy Osbournes, mm-hmm. your Alice Cooper, all of these sort of bands that are starting to take on the mantle. It's like, yeah... You right. know, this and probably for marketing reasons because yeah. it makes sure. you like what's more metal. Yeah. You can't see him doing the metal horns with my hand. Right, he is doing the metal horns, which seems slightly satanic. Yeah, it, like if it made a sound, it would be like <laughs> that's the noise of that hand gesture. In a way, to be the most metal, you have to sort of by definition be the evilest. Even though, of course, it's sort of a load of theatrics and mm. and nonsense. Oh, you know, now that you're talking, I'm reminded of Iron Maiden. Oh, and sure. Iron Maiden had that whole, like, we are in league with the devil kind of thing. Mm. All their album covers, the way they dressed, a lot of their songs were about this weird fantasy warlord devil satanic culture thing. Yeah. And something else happened in the 70s, which I think is crucial. And this is something that I don't think this story has been told very often, despite the fact that I'm going to make the argument that this was an unbelievably influential event. Again, when I was talking to people in person about the Illuminati, and I asked them, why do you believe in this massive satanic conspiracy? Inevitably, they would point me towards this one figure, Mm. this guy called John Todd. And luckily, uh, there are dozens and dozens of hours of tapes Mm -hmm. of John Todd speaking that you can listen to, and I've listened to a lot of them. Basically, here's his story. It's the 1970s. He starts touring around evangelical churches in the United States. And he has a story to tell. And the story is this. He is a reformed witch. Uh, He says he's from the Collins family, which are a family of witches. Uh, He said that he was actually JFK's personal warlock. And not only that, but he was a high-ranking, like super high-ranking member of the Illuminati in the the top of the families. He says that he has even seen the official occult Bible, of which there are only three copies, something called the Necromonicon. And he's actually seen it. He's touched it. This is the sort of the the text that, that's driving all of this satanic activity. The reason that he's going around from church to church is to warn the churchgoers that something satanic is happening in uh, in their midst. And what that is is that rock and roll is actually a secret conspiracy in order to basically drive Satanism into the heart of churchgoers. And even Christian rock... Well, it might appear to be more sacred and holy, he said, it's just as bad as any of the rest of it. That there are like uh, witches that write all the lyrics and there are druids who, who write all the songs and anytime they, they put a master of a song together before they release it, they have this weird like occult ceremony that they do with sacrifice. Oh, obviously, a lot of people listen to him and think, well, that's, that all seems a little bit far-fetched. But what starts to happen, and this is fascinating to me, we talked about... Uh, viral information a couple episodes ago. Well, this is obviously pre-internet age, but what happened instead is that people made recordings of them and then physically would copy tapes and pass them on. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is, even if you've never seen John Todd in person, if you're in that evangelical community, you've almost certainly come across his tapes. Yeah, 
I'd like to make a couple of comments about this. So I listened to some of these tapes and... They're not uh, an easy listen. They're not an easy listen, but one of the things that I found interesting about it was going back to my um, opening comments today, he delivers his stuff with a lot of confidence. Sure. I mean, there is no sense that this guy is has any doubt about what he's talking about. So that just in and of itself is... is It, it struck me how compelling it is to listen to somebody when you know that what or what you pretty clear what they're saying is not true and yet how convincing it is just because they believe it and they are since at least apparently sincere and confident yeah confidence is huge i mean it's like the opposite of us talking about heavy metal yeah right. <laughs> which was wildly unconvincing yeah, yeah. but it, but if i say something with confidence like you know what pandas are nothing more than giant raccoons I'm convinced. Yeah. Yeah. Is that true? Uh, Probably not. doesn't make much sense. But here's the thing. The stuff he was saying, the content of it, there were some kind of problems with it. And sure. at some point, the evangelical community uh, starts to investigate this guy because he becomes very popular and he starts to uh, attract a lot of followers. And he's telling these followers things like, listen, guys, you have to gather guns because they are coming for you soon. Mm -hmm. You've got to start gathering food, gathering water, gathering guns, build yourself bunkers, because very, very soon the Antichrist, who uh, he said was Jimmy Carter. Mm -hmm. So he, I mean, Jimmy Carter is still alive as of this mm -hmm. taping. So, you know, maybe. Yeah. But he's got to get on that. He's a real old man. <laughs> so he says, Jimmy Carter's the Antichrist. He says that the Illuminati, uh, and he knows this because he says he was a former member. He says the Illuminati has been using Charles Manson to raise an army in the prisons hmm. and the American government's going to release Charles Manson with his army of Satanists and they are going to come for all the Christians and murder them so mm -hmm. everybody gather guns. Okay, now that's a very scary thought. I mean, you don't want to be wrong about that. In terms about of Charles Manson yeah, getting like, out with guns. Well, no, you don't want to you don't want to not like it's scarier. Let's say you don't take that seriously. Mm -hmm. Right, you want to err on the side of caution. Yeah, yeah. err on the yeah. side of caution. I can see, I can understand how compelling that kind of fear would be. Because um, if he shows up at your house with an army of satanic yeah. prisoners, and Why you're didn't like, I oh to man, I should have put that deadbolt <laughs> yeah. on. I, but, I'd look silly now. And egg on my face. Well, I was just going to say that, especially because it uh, plays into an already existing narrative of good versus evil, God versus Satan, of yeah. which we are apparently, if you take the some versions of the Christian tradition seriously, we play a crucial role in that, don't we? Yeah, and we have to protect ourselves from this evil, right? Um, actually, oddly enough, the evil eye that you would wear to protect yourself is, you know, oddly similar to the Illuminati eye, oh, now that I think oh. about it. Um, but um, I was what I was going to say was about this idea of fear, specifically the fear of God, mm -hmm. that, you know, growing up, going to church, I understood all too well. And yeah, this idea of, you know, sinning and then seeking some sort of redemption or reforming, um, which is a really compelling, you know, narrative within that as well. I mean, what comes to mind that, you know, even though I have been to church in years, but the story of like the prodigal son, you know, someone who like makes mistakes, sins, comes back, seeks mm -hmm. redemption. This idea is somewhat similar to this idea of reforming and, you know, this this man who's committed all these sins coming back and saying, I've seen the light. This is the way it should be. I've, you know, um, I want to be a better person. And I have all these secrets to share with you about how we can all save ourselves. So what, so John Todd's story then, it, it has certain elements to it that are 
going to, as a bit of viral information, is going to help it survive because mm-hmm. it does sort of appeal to these very powerful narratives of mm-hmm. sin and redemption, of fear, of danger. I mean, it, it hits them all. Mm-hmm. Of course, there are some problems with his story, I should point out. You remember I said he was from the Collins family? Mm-hmm. And if you're like, Collins family, where do you get that from? There was a soap opera that went from 1966 to 1971 called Dark Shadows. Mm-hmm. And in it, there was like a witch family called the Collinses. So he may have gotten it from that. Remember that book, The Necromonicon? Yes. He was actually saying it incorrectly. It's Necronomicon. comes from H.P. Lovecraft. And it's a fictional book that was featured very heavily in a 1970 movie called The Dunwich Horror. And in some of the tapes I've heard of John Todd, he talks about specifically watching The Dunwich Horror. Mm Mm-hmm. So Yeah, that's like saying pisketti instead of spaghetti. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Only in the most evil way yeah. imaginable. Evil pisketti. Uh, so there are some issues. Obviously, Charles Manson was not released. Like I said, Jimmy Carter still has time, maybe, as of this recording. Mm-hmm. But it's becoming increasingly... Don't jinx it, come on. Okay. I, mean, I know, I'm going to feel terrible if he dies yeah. before this comes out. But he may or may not be the Antichrist. That one, we'll stick a pin in that and mm-hmm. wait. Yeah. Also, his story... Christianity Today, which is uh, a magazine, a Christian magazine, they started investigating Todd's past, and they found that he had sort of pulled this before. He had shown up at a church, an evangelical or a charismatic church. Uh, He always says that he had just fled the Illuminati, and then he argues that there's an enemy. Sometimes he, like, fakes attempts on his own life, and then at some point he tries to sleep with young parishioners. Mm. And then when he gets caught, he leaves town, He goes back to witchcraft, and then he tries the whole thing again in another town. In in fact, in 1984, he gets arrested for uh, molesting a young female relative. In 1987, he is arrested for uh, drugging and assaulting a female follower at knife point, and he is sent to prison. Uh, When he's interviewed in 1994, he has said that he is turning his back on Christianity, and he's returned to witchcraft, which he says is the only truth. And then in 2007, uh, John Todd dies. Mm. So maybe not the most reliable witness. Mm -hmm. A lot of the things that he said were just factually inaccurate, and other ones were clearly taken from pop culture. Yeah. But uh, what's interesting is even even though nobody really knows about John Todd, I, I think that he was extremely influential because, of course, in the 1980s, we see this weird phenomenon in the United States and partly in Canada as well which has now become known as the satanic panic. And that is a bizarre uh, situation that occurs. Yeah, I remember watching this stuff on TV as a kid. So I'm a kid in the 1980s. And this stuff is always coming up on the news about, I remember in particular, there were two young men who tried to commit suicide. And it didn't work. They survived, but with very severe injuries as a result. And apparently they had done it because they had played a Judist priest record backwards. Uh, and it there were messages in there that... And this whole satanic panic thing gets mixed up with like subliminal messaging as well. Like you're going to be influenced to do things without knowing mm-hmm. that you're under the influence. Yeah, because that's the amazing thing about the satanic panic of the 80s. All of a sudden, in all of these sort of daytime TV shows and like Nightline in 2020, there was all these stories about how there were Satanists everywhere who were doing terrible things to children. And part of that was driven by this idea that pop culture was a tool being used by these occultists in order to indoctrinate the the population, which Mm -hmm. is exactly what Todd 
was saying. Right. So I think that that idea that he sort of planted in those evangelical churches, and then those tapes started to spread, mm-hmm. and I think it just sort of, it basically that idea infected the rest of society. So he's at the origin of the modern myth of the Illuminati. I, I think so. I would make that argument. Okay. Um, are we going to play any things backwards? I think we should play some stuff yeah. backwards. I think we should look into this. Okay, so I've got some here. So what we're trying to do now is hear uh, messages from Satan and or satanic cults in song lyrics of metal bands when you play their music backwards. Or, or not even metal, metal bands, just rock and roll bands. Any, any pop music at all. Okay. Oh, I heard I mean, most of it sounded Ukrainian, and then I did hear Satan maybe twice. Right? Yeah. No, no. You like you can't see because this is a podcast. But Lee's eyes just went wide as saucers. Yeah. And did you hear six six six? No, I didn't. Okay, should I play it again? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, did you hear them say in a little tool shed where he makes us suffer? Now that you put it that way, yeah. I feel see, like I heard now, bits of that. Let's wow. see if... Uh, did you hear it that time? Oh, yeah. In a little tool shed where he made us suffer. Mm-hmm. Okay, what are the Which possible... Which song is this again? That's Stairway to Heaven. Okay, wow, yeah. So what are the possible explanations for what we just heard? Because Lee is now shaking. He is quaking yeah. his boots. He's That's terrified. Right. I, I wish I had started this podcast after yeah. all. I'm... His I hair mean... is all sticking up. <laughs> um, we're looking for patterns there, for sure. Like our brains, we're just trying to piece it into something that we understand and makes sense to us and sounds like something. Yeah, we hate randomness. We yeah. hate nonsense and we love patterns. Yeah, it's why we see Could... Mother Mary on a piece of toast. Yeah, could we just maybe talk about that? Because maybe... Uh, not all of our listeners know it goes there's actually been some psychological uh, tests done on our tendency to see patterns in where they or hear or hear patterns do you guys want to fill us in Shermer I think Uh, there's been a lot of people who have looked at this Uh, one of yeah Michael Shermer is one he talks about patternicity we just have this tendency because without the ability to find patterns in things we wouldn't have survived Mm -hmm. and so like if you're the example Michael Shermer gives the uh, editor of Skeptic magazine is if you uh, it's a hundred thousand years ago you're walking in a forest you see a pattern like you notice a rustling you hear the birds stop there's like an odd smell none of those things is necessarily threatening in itself but then your brain puts it together in a pattern and says there is a predator nearby you have to take action and if you're wrong about that if you think there's a predator but it's just nothing it's fine you survive kind of like the potential for Charles Manson and his prison army exactly you want to err on the side of caution and those humans who erred on the side of caution who saw more patterns would have gotten eaten less and so he argues that we have just through evolution been hardwired to just see patterns everywhere and when we feel like we're out of control 
we see them way more. Right. Our brains are just like, here's some patterns for you. Right. So then when I'm confronted with what seems like total nonsensical sound, my brain is desperately trying to create patterns out of that. And sometimes it works. And if I prime you, if I tell you mm -hmm. he's going to sing about a, a tool shed, mm -hmm. right. then your brain's ready for it and your brain will find it and make it. Mm -hmm. Now, having said that, I have another, I think in particular Lee is going to be quite moved by this one. Here is, <laughs> and neither of you have heard this before. No, I don't no, think let's so. Let's do it. All right, here we go. You know this song. I know it. I was like, I can't believe it sounds the same forwards and backwards. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Here it is. Is it a palindrome song? Here it is backwards. <laughs> Something about marijuana. It's okay. Now this is what I'm saying. I guess it doesn't matter now because we're in Canada. Yeah, that's right. And it became it, legal a couple days ago. Prohibition has ended. Yes. It sounds to me like he is saying, "Smoke marijuana." It's fun to smoke marijuana. Yep. Oh yeah. Very enthusiastically saying yep. that. Yeah. yeah. Does that mean it, that he's actually saying it or that it was a deliberate thing that they put in? I mean, how could you, how could you reverse produce something? That's a good point. I but, don't know. You might know, Nathan, because you do editing and, and sound and stuff. But like, I mean, how would you reverse produce something? I guess what you would do is you would figure out what you wanted to say backwards and you would sing that. And then you would play that backwards. And then you'd try to figure out what that sounded like when you played it backwards. And then you'd sing that. It sounds so complicated. It's a lot of work. It's it's. Kind of a ridiculous idea. I mean, yeah. of course, there are backwards things sometimes put into songs as jokes. Revolution Number no. 9 by the Beatles had some right. backward stuff. I mean, but the other thing that, what if there was a bunch of backwards messages? Who's to say that our brains would be able to yeah. somehow... Reverse it in our heads and right. hear it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so this might seem like a bunch of kind of goofy nonsense that people were looking for satanic messages and playing like Queen's records backwards and stuff like that. But here's the thing. It was getting people afraid, and we're, we're not smart when we're afraid, and we can do some pretty bad things when we're afraid. And there was some like genuine, terrible effects of the satanic panic of the 80s. There were people who were sentenced to prison for absurd crimes, like feeding children to sharks and things like that, with, for, with no evidence at all. Uh, a lot of, like, there were people who owned daycares who uh, rumors started going around that they were, like, bringing kids to Mexico to chop them up into bits and then do rituals and then feed them to sharks and all these other things. And there was no evidence. There wasn't bodies. There was nothing. Another good example was, have you guys ever heard of the West Memphis Three? Well, only because we talked about it. Oh, yes, that's right. <laughs> but you got to tell that story because, man, you got to watch out what band shirts you wear. Sure. 1993, the town of West Memphis, Arkansas, something genuinely awful happens in that three eight-year-old kids are murdered. Steve Branch, Christopher Byers, and James Moore, uh, which is a tragedy and terrible, and they were deliberately killed by somebody. Now, the small-town cops didn't know who to look for at first, but then they remembered, you know, there's, there's some teenagers in this town that listen to ACDC. And, of course, they had heard all about the satanic panic on 2020 and in the news. These kids had been wearing T-shirts that said, like, Highway to Hell, Hell's Bells. And so they arrest Damien Eccles, Jesse Miss Kelly and Jason Baldwin, the evidence isn't very good. They have one witness, Vicki Hutchison, and she almost immediately recants her testimony. She says, okay, yeah, I guess it was them. Then immediately recants her testimony and says that the cops coerced her into it and that she did not see them at all. 
there are, I apologize, this part is a little gruesome. There are bite marks on some of the bodies that don't match the teeth of any mm. of the boys. They may match the teeth of one of the boy's stepfathers, but we'll never know because for some reason he had all his teeth removed after this, as you do. They are sentenced to, Damien Eccles is sentenced to death. Jesse Miscawi is sentenced to 40 years. Uh, he said, it said that he has an IQ of about 72. Mm. And Jason Baldwin is sentenced to life with no evidence, basically just because these kids listened to heavy metal and this idea had gotten into the population that there was this genuine satanic danger. The real danger, of course, is not only are three innocent people now sentenced mm -hmm. to 40 years life and to the death penalty, but there's still somebody who murdered those kids who's still out there. Yeah. Are they still in prison? No, the not good news. The less terrible news, I guess, is that there was DNA evidence that was collected, mm. and eventually they tested it, and the DNA evidence did not match up with any of the guys who they had arrested. And so in 2011... Oh, wow. Jeez. So Damien Eccles at this point has been on death row for like almost 20 years. But what makes it even worse is that even then, the only way they were allowed out of prison is they had to plead guilty, which seems weird. Yeah. But the state made a deal with them. It's like, okay, yeah, the DNA evidence came back. You guys didn't do this. If we let you go and we say that we made a mistake... It's going to cost us a lot of money. So here's the deal. You just plead guilty, and then we'll let you go. That's so bizarre. And of course, at that point, you're on death row. Yeah. What are you going to do? So they're out. As far as I know, they're doing okay. But that shows you the genuine danger that's posed. Right. These aren't just sort of harmless ideas mm -hmm. that we're playing with. If you get people scared, they can make some bad decisions. Mm -hmm. One of the things that strikes me as weird about the whole Illuminati story is if we were to take it seriously, there is this super group out there, maybe in league with Satan. Why are they constantly making it known to us? Mm -hmm. Like, why are yeah, they always so giving secret. us clues? Yeah, yeah. like why? I've asked people that, and the answer is because they're so arrogant, because they're so powerful, they kind of want to rub it in our faces. And yet they don't just come out and say, We're here deal with it it's like well they're not that powerful right so they're, they're just in that that spot where they're <laughs> powerful sweet spot that, that power. sweet spot exactly just powerful enough to control everything not powerful enough to just be like guys we control everything because huh. i mean i don't know see but this brings us now yeah okay finally after a very long intro yeah right. <laughs> to beyonce okay so beyonce i mean beyonce is not the only celebrity uh, who has been plagued with these sort of rumors about their Illuminati connections or whether or not they're being controlled by the Illuminati, or if they've in fact died at some point, been cloned. Like, for example, there's a rumor that Beyonce died and was cloned and uh, because that was by her record label because they wanted to keep making money and keep profiting. Sure, I mean, she her. makes so they a lot her. of money for yeah. those. But there's uh, rumors around... Beyonce, rumors around Jay-Z, her husband. I have a whole list, actually, of other celebrities that have been charged with this um, this idea that they have somehow been connected with the Illuminati or given their power by the Illuminati. So Eminem, um, actually, apparently, there's a rumor about him that he was cloned and replaced because his hairline changed. I see. Oh, that's so, the one part of a clone that yeah. doesn't stay the same. No. you got to watch the hairline. Yeah, you got to watch the hairline. Which means that, like, I just noticed the other day, I think I might have been cloned. Oh, yeah. Well, my hairline you wouldn't is, know it, would it's, you? It's making a move. 
It's running away. Would you know if you had been cloned? And first of all, because there's probably people yelling at their phones right now at us. Yeah. We know that's not how cloning works. Yeah. Like you don't clone you don't clone an adult and get another adult. No. Right. We know we know that's not yeah. what happens. We're full of all their memories right. and personalities. Yeah. And then do you remember Aaliyah? Oh yeah. Very so sad. she died it was a plane crash, wasn't it? Yeah. And so there was a rumor that she was killed because she was trying to get out from under the Illuminati's control. Um, and she was supposed to be the queen of music, but Beyonce stepped in now to take that, to and, take her place. And of course, what's interesting about theories like this, it's not like before she died, anybody said, hey, I think she's trying to leave the Illuminati. She's in danger. Right. She dies in a plane crash. And then retroactively, people explain right. that by saying, oh, I bet that this is what happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, other pop stars like Katy Perry, um, she has all these themes she used or symbolism in her videos and performances i think it was a 2014 grammy performance she did she had other uh she had occult symbols in and what's his name from Infowars again i don't even want to say his yeah name. you know you know you, you all know um he called her an illuminati priestess performing rituals in public view uh because of her grammy performance miley cyrus has clearly sold her soul uh, and is now showing people how to have sex with Satan uh, through her performances and videos. This is the rumor around Miley Cyrus. And of course, because she used to be a wholesome sort. Yes. Same with Britney Spears. Same thing. Oh, Anyone yeah. who changes from being very wholesome to be you know, some sort of sex symbol mm-hmm. has also made that transition via the Illuminati. the Illuminati. It's like the opposite of the redemption story. Yes. It's the falling into sin story. Mm-hmm. There's also claims that she has been demonically possessed. Oh, and has also been part of MKUltra experiments. Madonna. Although Madonna's specifically mentioned, I think she has a song called Illuminati, where she states that Beyonce and Jay-Z are not in the Illuminati. But then I think she goes on to say that she actually knows who is. So I think she's messing uh, with them a little bit. Right. She Almost um, certainly. Yeah. Britney Spears, like I said, same thing. She made that shift. And... Her breakdown, that sort of very public breakdown she had where she was shaving her head, yeah. they say that that was a, like a glitch in her programming that the, when the mind control that the Illuminati had over her was failing. That's That was a very public example of that. I mean, the list goes on like it could go forever. But so Jay-Z and Beyonce are two that still, it circulates around them a lot. Uh, Jay-Z, his record company called Rock Nation, the symbol he uses for it is like the triangle. Which we're all uh, doing right now. Yeah, which we're all doing can't with, see. with both your hands. And, and Beyonce used that symbol in one of her performances. Oh, was it at the Super Bowl performance, I believe? And so then rumors were flying after that, that it was actually the, the all-seeing eye rather than just the Rock Nation record label, uh, which her husband owns. And Blue Ivy, their first daughter. Oh, boy. Do you, have you heard this one? No. This is... Okay. So oh her name is Blue Ivy. Now the rumor around that is that it stands for this. Get ready. Born, Buckle in, everybody. Yeah. Born living under evil, Illuminati's very youngest. Hmm. Least convinced. Yeah. God. Okay. And I mean, the... I, again, I don't... If, uh, if this secret society existed, I mean, look, honestly, what's the point of having a secret society if you go telling everybody about it? Like, there's got to be a reason for it to be secret, right? Mm -hmm. Why would you go to the Grammys or Super Bowl or whatever and start flaunting the symbols of your secret outfit? Well, I guess it's not, it's like little moments. Like, she probably just did that in a little moment in between something, you know? And so I think 
It's people who are looking and it's these small things and they find it so satisfying to find that little thing and be like, there it is. There's proof. There's evidence, right? They're like through these small little things that they're doing. Cause she's not doing like a whole dance with that, that eye, you know, it's like she just flashes it for a few seconds and and the rumors start flying. Is it like a wink, wink, nudge, nudge to those of us who know? I guess so. Or she's trolling. I think she's trolling at this point. Well, look, I mean, like the, like the Delta blues artist, I mean, I would totally, I would, I would uh, use these symbols if people are going to, if it's going to make people buy my records, why not? Um, Lee, can you now read for us oh what God. what Beyonce did say I, I in her what, song Formation? Yeah, what was Beyonce's response to this? Y'all haters corny with that Illuminati mess. Love it. That was pretty good. So I had to good. practice a lot. Yeah, it paid off. <laughs> See, but this is the thing that's frustrating, I think, to all of us, is that we love evidence. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. the thing, right? Like that's with, with our students, when they're investigating conspiracy theories, the thing we always tell them is like show your receipts. Like, it isn't enough to just sort of be able to put something together at a symbolism in reading this and reading that. It's like, no, let's actually look at evidence. And the thing is, all the pop culture Illuminati stuff, it's all this symbolism. It's all, yeah. well, look at this video. This shark is dancing in this way, and that represents this. Yeah. But, of course, the thing about symbolism is that it could be read in a bunch of different ways. Mm-hmm. And if you're going into it with the idea that, okay, this is clearly an Illuminati job, like, that's, what's, that's what you're going to see. And then, like Lee was saying, the performers can lean into it and start to almost have fun with it because it's going to get them yeah. press and it's going to get them views and it's going to make them go viral. And I guess numerology is one of those things too right. that people yeah. sort of claim as evidence if they're into if you know they're into yeah. buying into the theory that they see all these numbers that seem to add up. Like in this case, eleven it would be the Antichrist, right? I think it's. I'm pretty sure that's what I saw, and that's why the New World Order, which the Illuminati are also. Helping to usher in, correct? Right. Yeah. Um, I get so lost when anybody talks about. Numerology. I know. Right. I well, get there's yeah, super there's also. I won't even go. I won't even go um, into it. But yeah, like things that look like evidence but aren't. Yeah. Like oh, these numbers add up to be the eleven, and that's the Antichrist, and that must be, or, you know, that must be true. Then. That's a really good way to put it, actually. Things that look like evidence but aren't. But aren't. Mm-hmm. Is there a, is there like a phrase for that? Should we? Think of one. Should we make one? Hmm. Yeah. Illuminating. Yeah. But this this circles around to one of my central critiques with this and many other theories that people put out, which is uh, something in the social sciences and in philosophy known as an unfalsifiable hypothesis. There are certain... the way. Okay, let me put it like this. The way it's supposed to work... Let's take science as our hard case example here. The way it's supposed to work in science is that you put uh, hypotheses about how the world works in such a form that you could be proven wrong, right? right. That I could mm. make an experiment that if you are, in fact, have have gotten it wrong about how the world works, there's got to be an experiment that can prove it. Like to have a, an absurdly straightforward example if i have a box and i say i think there is a kitten in this box mm-hmm. then elena could be like well then i'll open the box mm-hmm. and look that's right and there we will can be easily other... find out yeah, yeah exactly and so any claim you should be able to open the box of that claim right that's a nice way of putting it and but there not all claims work like that uh, some claims there is no way to disprove it or another example that i talked to an illuminati theorist this was back in 2012 and he was making the argument that the Illuminati was going to detonate a nuclear device 
at the London Olympics. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, that's terrible news. So what if one doesn't go off? Does that mean you're wrong? And he said, no, if a bomb doesn't go off, that proves that I was right because it means that they realized that we were on to them and they changed their plan. Right. So I said, if a bomb goes off, Mm -hmm. then you're going to say, I was right. And he said, yes. And I said, and if a bomb doesn't go off, you're going to say you were right. right. And he said, that's right. And that that is amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's one of these... um, one of the problems with an idea like this is we can chalk up all the things that we count as bad evidence, but this is just going to roll off the back of somebody who's fully a full believer in the Illuminati because there is actually nothing we could present to a true believer because they've already built these defenses such that all evidence, no matter which way it falls, demonstrates that the Illuminati actually already exists. Or they could just say, well, clearly leaves in on it. Yeah, that's the other yeah. thing, right? So that's something like just structurally going from what you guys were saying, I find this a really troubling idea because uh, the idea itself does not allow for a con- uh, any kind of evidence to dis- dissuade Disprove people it, right. of it. Um, the other problem here is, and this is something I was thinking about while you guys were talking. Um, I the, listen to you while you're talking. I'm not thinking about other things. I'm sorry. Sometimes I think about other things, but they come back to other things you've said in the past. So here I'm coming back to one of the things that uh, either um, Nathan, you or Elena have said in a previous podcast. It's that not all conspiracy, like some conspiracies have an ulterior motive themselves. The conspiracy itself is the conspiracy. Sure. What is the effect of believing that there is an all-powerful uh, entity controlling all politics and society? I think one of the effects is to keep us out of bothering. Yeah, to do any engagement for sure. Right? Let's imagine, just for argument's sake, that the Illuminati truly is not real. What is the effect, and who benefits from a lot of people believing that it is? Who benefits from the idea that all revolutions, all political revolutions, were not started by people who had genuine grievances about their political and social situations, but by an elite group who was just um, meddling in the affairs of people who didn't know any better. I think what it does is uh, it takes us out of the scope in which we actually have capacity to act. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes us feel powerless if someone else has all of the power. I mean, I'm a, of the opinion that anytime you believe something very strongly that doesn't have evidence behind it, you can get yourself in trouble. Mm-hmm. Now, having said that, though, let's be charitable for a second. Okay. And let's look at the Illuminati as a metaphor. Is there a kind of truth to this idea? Like, I'll, I'll give you an example. The music industry. Oh, yeah. Is, I mean. It's gross. Yeah. It's terrible. There's it, it's awful. back deals and all sorts of things we have no idea that goes on behind the scenes. There's abuse. Yeah. Like, there are, like, young people who are, like, groomed. Yeah. It, it's, it's bad. And so that part, I mean. Yeah, there's something to it. Sure. So what are some other, like, not just the music part but just sort of the Illuminati in general. Are there sort of truths to that that maybe make the Illuminati even a more appealing theory? Recently, I saw uh, a meme about... Had, it was pretty disturbing. It was three pictures, I think. Uh, one of uh, um, victims at a school shooting mm-hmm. and another one of the Twin Towers. And then there was a, a third picture. 
And the caption was something to the effect of, if you don't believe that your government will do this mm -hmm. to create, and, and by this, then they had the picture of the victims. Can of I read it? Children. Yeah, please oh, yeah. go ahead. If you don't think the government would go this far for gun control. And there's the picture of the kids who were killed. Yeah, this video. far for population control. And it's like natural disasters, uh, forest fires and flooding. And this far for world control. Uh, and that's when the Twin Tower photo uh, appears. And it says, you've underestimated the elite's agenda. So when Nathan yes. asks, is there any truth to this? I think that there is some truth to the experience that we are deeply powerless in front of really shocking and awful events. I mean, school shootings mm -hmm. have got to be one of the worst things you can possibly wake up to in the morning when you when you you know listen to your uh, morning news and i think that there is also i don't know everybody's background but there's i think with a lot of people a sense of resentment about where they are in the world and what's happened to them in their life there's a deep sense of unfairness and injustice and i think there is some argument to be made that that isn't entirely accidental or up to the people themselves and how much effort they've put into their lives, but is um, a factor of social structures, uh, unfair uh, access to education and mm -hmm. resources and that kind of stuff. You put these two things together, a frustration about your own life and a sense that uh, the world is deeply unfair and deeply shocking. I feel like the Illuminati myth touches upon some of that. Make, on the one hand, makes sense of it, and the other hand, also... Uh, gives voice to a certain sense of real suffering that's happening um, in people's lives. Yeah, and it speaks to the unfairness of it too. That yeah. there's these people, these all-powerful people, just being kind of like puppeteers and leaving you out. You're stuck yeah. out of that system. And me as an individual, what have I got to do here? Yeah. I mean, I can go vote once in a while, and I know that that's not going to make a big difference, and whoever gets elected is probably going to do much the same as the people before. I mean, my sense acting as an individual citizen in the world is one of total powerlessness. Mm -hmm. But there are very wealthy people, and yeah. wealthy people have like a discommensurate, incommensurate, in, incommensurate. Yeah, incommensurate. There we go. There we there go. Yeah. Incommensurate. Incommensurate. <laughs> Rich people, I'm going to leave all that in. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to edit it out. I'm proud of it. Yeah. No, I've forgotten the word. Uh, incommensurate. Rich people have an incommensurate amount, amount of all of those things. Yeah, amount right. yeah. of influence and power. Yeah. If you are like a, a large corporation, you can buy politicians. Mm -hmm. like, sure, and do. Yeah. And so there is some, there's like a kind of truth to this Illuminati yeah. idea. In that we do, our society is a bit of a crooked game. People can work very hard and not get ahead. Mm -hmm. And there are people who have a lot of influence and power. But then the Illuminati idea kind of takes that very complex and important notion and turns it into like a bit of a cartoon, I think. Yeah, and I'm, I wonder what is it uh, with the phenomenon particularly that applies it to these celebrities? Like, why is it? these particular celebrities who end up being seen as like not having risen to fame and fortune for just reasons that they're mm -hmm. really talented or that they are maybe connected or whatever mm -hmm. it is. Like, is there some theme in who it's being applied to as well? I wonder. Right. I've never heard Dolly Parton accused of being Illuminati. Yeah. That's an like it's, it's so, like it's people who, well, I mean, when we think about, Britney Spears, Miley Cyrus, who have switched over to the, the evil side right. from good. Um, or hip-hop performers. Yes. Are always the ones. Totally. 
Always hip hop performers. Yeah. Never new country performers. No. Or like Lady Gaga, who is like for LGBTQ rights. And so it's like people that are more progressive, maybe more progressive or from marginalized groups or I don't know. It's kind of interesting to look at who it's been applied to. Right. It's a sense of indignity. Like, how did this person make it? Yeah. Like with Jay-Z, he is an incredibly good business person Mm -hmm. like he has got tremendous economic savvy Mm -hmm. and he and beyonce are worth over a billion dollars yeah but that's because i mean he made good investments he's made very good decisions she's extremely talented and has also made good decisions but it is interesting that Mm -hmm. those are the people then that people are like well that seems suspicious it's like demeaning their talent and their business savvy and all of these skills of theirs to be like, well, it must have been yeah. that they sold their soul. So where do we land? Oh, Maybe yeah. we can start with you. Where where do you land on the Illuminati? What is it? What's it about? Is it real? Is Beyonce part of it? It was real. It was a real organization. I think that it has been used as a kind of boogeyman. Uh, I mean, you can just look at the way that it's changed over the years. In the 1920s and 30s, there was a really strong anti-Semitic aspect to the Illuminati. Mm-hmm. In the Rothschilds 50s and, th- and things exactly. like that, right? In the 1950s and 60s, it's a communist aspect. And then in the 70s and 80s, it becomes a satanic aspect. And so the and fact really that... It doesn't lose that stuff, the earlier stuff. There's still this weird connection with communism that hasn't fully disappeared. Sorry to interrupt. Oh, no, no, not at all. Uh, yeah, no, you're totally right. It's that... It, it's sort of... It's like a rolling snowball. Yeah. And basically, it'll just pick up what whatever is in its path. And you can just sort of use it as... Like, as a metaphor, I think it's useful. Because as we say, it's mm-hmm. a cr- the, the world is a bit of a crooked game and there are structural inequalities. Yeah, and there's powerlessness there and powerlessness, injustices. Terrible and... things that happen. And if you want to just say, that's the Illuminati, then great. Yeah. But as soon as you try to turn that metaphor into a real thing, I think that you're on shaky ground. It's kind of like a shape-shifting conspiracy theory that you can just apply to whatever is going on at the time or whatever mm. situation. Shape-shifting, kind of like the, the reptilian people? humanoids. Yes. <laughs> well, see, that's legit. <laughs> yeah, of course. Nobody would question that. No, I mean, no. Uh, Lee is one. Yeah. We're, Wasn't Obama? Oh, yeah, Obama, uh, yeah, and, Obama the queen. and the Queen. And Chris Christopherson and Boxcar Willie. Really? <laughs> Sounds like we need to do one on the reptilians. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess, yeah, I guess that's... That's uh, our take on the Illuminati. So now all we have to do is wait and see if uh, Lee's hairline changes and he starts to glitch. That's right. And then we'll know they've replaced him. (laughs) Okay, uh, you should, or we'd like you to if you want to, uh, check us out on Instagram at The Uncover Up. Uh, We also have a Facebook page at The Uncover Up. And we also have Twitter uh, at The Uncover Up. We have Twitter? We do. Oh, I didn't even know that. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. We're celebrities. Well, I'm not on any of those platforms. No, Lee, so you will find Lee on keep, none of them. If yeah. you just keep listening, yeah. that's also okay. You yeah. will find Lee in his backyard. Yeah. <laughs> Unless the Illuminati finds me first. <laughs> <laughs>